Hello, and welcome again to a conservative historian podcast. This one entitled, Dr. Seuss and the College Experience, October 2020. Before we get to the podcast, I just wanted to note that our new book, The Conservative Historian Collected Works, is now available for sale on Amazon in hardcover or in Kindle editions. So simply go to Amazon, type in Conservative Historian Collected Works, and you should see our page. Please take a look. This is Bell Avis. And now, on to our podcast. In a recent piece for National Review, writer Kyle Smith cites the Dr. Seuss work The Sneetches in his The Sneechification of America about the proclivity for many whites to wish to be black and vice versa. Quote, a huckster named Sylvester McMonkey McBean comes to town promising that he'll lift up the woebegone blank-bellied birds by putting them through a machine that stamps stars on their tummies. So all the blank-bellied sneeches line up to give McBean their money and emerge from the machine with the status signifier. Unquote. Kyle Smith was writing about race, but the sneeches story carries a fairly loud echo of the university system. Dr. Seuss, a.k.a. Theodore Geisel, was making a point about race, and like so much great children's literature, made an argument pertinent for adults as well. Hence, the Lorax was about the environment, Yertle the Turtle about totalitarianism, and in the case of the Sneetches, Smith is spot on in that something as inconsequential as a star on a belly was to note the horrors perpetuated because someone's skin color happened to be darker or lighter than other human beings. Seuss's point was that in the America of 1967, the civil rights movement notwithstanding, white skin color denoted a signifier of a ruling class. Black skin denoted something more akin to an underclass. Hence, stars, quote, upon thars, unquote, convey power and status. Within the Sneetches, the race angle is very difficult to miss, but there is a subtler message aimed square into the bosom of the American experience. In the Sneetches, stars denoted status and power, yet were so meaningless in and of themselves that the enterprising McBean could not only build a machine to apply them, but could also build a second one that could take them back off. But is the star not also a stand-in for a college degree? A signifier that the possessor is of more excellent status than those that lack them? As Brian Kaplan points out in his groundbreaking The Case Against Education, quote, The heralded social dividends of education are largely illusory. Rising education's main fruit is not broad-based prosperity, but credential inflation, unquote. Note the illusory part. In the end, it made no real difference whether the Sneetches had stars or not. So does a degree? Of course it does, because like the original star, it sends what Kaplan calls signaling to potential employers. But Kaplan also notes, what if one had the choice between a Princeton education and a Princeton degree? Almost everyone would choose the latter. What if we approached those social climbing Sneetches who lack the stars? 
We could give them a world-class education and maybe even have McMonkey McBean in for a master class on YouTube exclusively for the star lax Sneech. But everyone knows that the clever Sneech would get the star and forego the education. In a separate piece, the conservative historian went through the value of a degree, positing that it came in really four pieces or four pillars of the academy that the degree would deliver. The first was knowledge for a career. The second was social networking. The third, sports. And the fourth, maybe most importantly, critical thinking. At least, this is what the academy tells students and also tells their parents. You know, the ones who are writing those tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollar checks. But as that piece noted, Much of what is taught in the university is not applicable for many jobs. There are several ways to build a social network. The inclusion of sports into the academy actually distorts the college picture. And in lieu of critical thinking, and this is probably the most important of all, colleges are not teaching critical thinking, but are in fact indoctrination factories. So are the degrees more than stars upon thars? Not really, but there is even another aspect to the concept of signaling. Where the divergence from Sousland begins is that some stars are much more massive than other stars. For example, a star from tiny Beloit College in Wisconsin is a star, but not quite large, denoting social status as having the ginormous Princeton star. Again, let's ask that Sneech. Do you want that little Beloit star or do you want the massive Princeton star? The son of a U.S. senator, a rural Arkansan, the son of the son of that U.S. senator, an African-American from Illinois, and a well-born yet highly acerbic controversial New York real estate developer walk into a bar. Is this a joke? No, unfortunately, the joke's punchline is for all those presidential aspirants who do not have ivy-clustered stars on their bellies, for they will not get to occupy the Oval Office. The bar crawlers have very little in common, except that all of our presidents from 1988 through 2020 all have ivy-colored stars on theirs. Arguably, We would have been better off with the likes of Bob Dole, who went to the University of Arizona and Washburn? What? Both John Kerry and Al Gore attended Ivy's for graduate school, as did Hillary Clinton. But they were all runners-up. They lost to other Ivy League graduates. Romney also went to an Ivy graduate school, but he joins Dole for the sole reason of going to Mormon-dominated Brigham Young for his undergrad. BYU students perform well despite the lack of coffee and cola, but they are not the Ivy League, so they do not discuss presidential aspirations. In other words, for the highest office of the land, there can only be really one set of schools that can put that imprint upon our leaders, and those schools are all Ivy. Again, is Princeton fundamentally that much of a better education than Beloit, or is that signaling of a higher level? For many Seuss writings, and this doesn't necessarily have to mean children, 
but really people of all age can be full of inspired teachings. As the college newspaper, The Dartmouth, Dartmouth College being another Ivy, noted in 2019 on the 100th anniversary of Geisel's birth, quote, Though Geisel is no longer with us, his legacy lives on in the Dr. Seuss room in Baker Library at the Geisel School of Medicine, and of course, in the hundreds of millions of children's books on shelves around the world. One might even say that Geisel is Dartmouth's most successful alumnus of all time, unquote. Yes, Geisel was also an Ivy, and therefore had that wonderful Ivy-clustered star upon his belly as well. The actual list of notable alumni at Dartmouth looks like a who's who of yesterday and today's prominent politicians. A cursory glance shows two of the last five Treasury Secretaries were Dartmouth alums. For the incoming freshmen of 2019, Zeus was the theme. Yet, part of the narrative of Yertle the Turtle was do not get so full of yourself. Quote, all mine, Yertle cried. Oh, the things I now rule, I'm king of a cow, and I'm a king of a mule, unquote. I can almost see the likes of alums Nelson Rockefeller or Kirsten Gillibrand uttering such things, though in the case of the latter, queen would be more appropriate. The story ends with Yertle's comeuppance. Quote, for Yertle, the king of all, Salam Assand, fell off his high throne and fell plunk in the pond. And to say the great Yertle, that marvelous he, is king of the mud. That is all he can see, unquote. And yet, this story of humility seemed to be lost on the matriculation speech provided by the Dartmouth editor, Sarah Albert. Quote, looking around at your new peers, you might worry that they are all smarter or more accomplished than you. So many members of the class of 2023 were valedictorians, team captains, or debate all-stars, and it's easy to feel lost or insecure when you are surrounded by such impressive and ambitious people, unquote. Wow. Just to be clear, the class of 2023 is not worried about the things that have plagued humanity for, oh, I don't know, the better part of all of humanity's existence. You know, things like famine, war, disease. No, the class of 2023 at Dartmouth's biggest problem is is that so many of them are so impressive that if you are not equally as impressive, if you are not yurtle-like in your own ambitions, you might feel, uh, what was the term, Uh, worry that they're all more smart and more accomplished than you are. And that's the level of insecurity at Dartmouth. I only wish I could have attended Dartmouth so that as big as my ego may be, so much better people can surround me so much better than thee. And why are these Ivy Superior better than me? Better learning? Better campus? Better teachers? Or all three? No, it is perception, illusion, a massive Ivy star upon thar, you see. This is Bell Avis. Thanks again for listening to another conservative historian podcast. Please check out our new book, Conservative Historian, A Collected Works on Amazon. All you need to do is put that in the search menu and you should be able to find us. And if you want additional podcasts 
or see some of our videos, read additional columns, look at our Academia where this uh, particular podcast will appear, or just check out some books. We have a whole book review section. So if you are an avid historian reader and lover of history as I am, then we have a whole selection for you to uh, ponder. Once again, thank you very much for listening.